Amen. How we doing? You good? Anybody hungry? Hungry for some word? In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul talks about a, a point in his life when he was under such great pressure that he wasn't able to personally endure it. It, it was just too much for him. Now, now, I think most of us can imagine what that's like, to be under so much pressure that we know that we are not strong enough to stand up under its pressure. And, and you know, as I've talked to different people about the pressure uh, that they face in life, uh, I've discovered that there are basically two different kinds of pressure. Uh, now, now, there's some pressure that, that comes at us all at once. Hey, Fred, come help me out. And, and, and I, I, I call, yo, brother. And I call that, you know, the, uh, get on the other side if you would. I call that like the 45-pound uh, I got double vision, so it's really hard to find that. The 45-pound kind of pressure. And, and, and you're good. Well done. My good and faithful Fred. And, and, and you know, and, and when that kind of pressure is lowered on us, we feel it, right? I, I mean, you're fired from a job. You're forced into bankruptcy. Um, maybe you lose a loved one. A family member is abused. You... You feel overwhelmed by loneliness. Or maybe a spouse walks out on you. And the thing is, with these 45-pound with these weights, no one has to tell you that they're there, right? I mean, I mean you can feel it right away, and you can, you can barely stand up under it. That, that, that's one type of pressure that is put on us. However, there's a, a lot of pressure that we experience that that doesn't come from big things. It's, it, it's kind of, it's not like a big things, but it's kind of like these, like these five or, you know, or, or 10 pound weights that are just added to our life, you know, and, and, and the thing about these weights that sometimes you don't even notice you're adding them on, you know, and, and even if you do notice you're adding these weights to your life, this pressure to your life, you're like, hey, it's only five pounds. It's really not that big of a deal. I can handle it. But, but, but listen, if, if they have a, a cumulative effect, and if we, if we keep adding on 5 pounds and 5 pounds and 10 pounds and 10 pounds, now before long, we're going to reach a moment, and it might seem like all of a sudden, right? Or all of a sudden, we can't lift it up. I mean, we can't get off our chest. We're like, wait a second, all I did was put on an additional five pounds, and I can't even lift it up and lift it over. And again, it's not just this, it's not a major thing, but it's all these little things added together that can become overwhelming in our life. So, so maybe you're, you're surrounded by a, a ringing telephone, a fussy kid, an annoying coworker, uh, never-ending emails or calls to return. Or, or maybe it's overdue bills or the car breaks down. There's a, there's a plumbing issue at, at your house. It's the up and down of the stock market. Or it's all these crises that somehow you find yourself always being put right in the middle of. Maple Grove, it's, it's so easy for us to let those little things add up and rob us of the peace that God wants us to have. And before long, we find ourselves under a pressure straining 
to move a weight that we cannot even budge off of our chest. Now, I know when that happens at the gym, right? You know, uh, when someone finds out, you know, they have too much weight on them, it, it doesn't take long for them to say, hey, a little help, hey, I need a spot, right? I, I mean, about 100% of the time, if you can't lift that sucker, you're going to call out to somebody right quick. And, and it's always good to have a spotter around when you're trying to push up something heavy. And the other day, you know, I, 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 that's Alden, I was up here, you know, practicing this for sermon illustrations, right? Surprised that not work, being 55 and not working up for 15 years, I can't do what I was pushing up at 40. And that's the picture that Paul gives us in 2 Corinthians. He's experiencing this tremendous pressure and stress, and he's unable to push it up and over. And so he cries out to God, hey, God, a little help. How about a spot over here? Check out what he wrote. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8. We think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure. Couldn't budget. And we thought we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to die. But as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely on God who raises the dead. That's talk about a spider. And he did rescue us from mortal danger, and he will rescue us again. Uh, we have placed our confidence in him, and he will continue to rescue us. And, and you are helping us by praying for us. That's pretty cool, right? Uh, when we pray for others, we're helping them with their pressure. You think, oh, all I can do is pray for you. Well, guess what? That's like a big deal. And many people will give thanks because God has graciously answered us so many prayers for our safety. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for your love and your mercy. And God, I'm speaking to, and I'm one myself of a people who many times are stressed out, overwhelmed. We feel like we're about to pop with the pressure that's on us. We're carrying things that we cannot lift off. Peace seems to be so far away. And like Paul, we feel crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure. God, I pray you speak to us. God, I pray you speak to me. God, I know that those who have ears to listen will hear. And they will leave today having the greatest spider of all times, walking with them and helping them. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, in your mind, would you identify some of the weights, some of the weights, some of the big weights and some of the little weights that are pressing down on you right now? I mean, I mean what are the things that are causing you stress and anxiety and pressure? We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure, and we thought we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to die. But as a result, we stop relying on ourselves and learn to rely. Learn, that's interesting. Rely on God who raises the dead. Okay, let's do this. We're in this series on the fruit of the Spirit called It's Time to Grow. And, and it, it's been an incredible series. And listen, I, I, I am not exaggerating in the least when I say that 
these nine weeks have the potential to not only change your life, but to change your home, to change your marriage, to change your family, to change this church, and to change this world. The question, do you believe that? I, I, I mean, do you believe that, that if you provide some good soil for God the next nine weeks, do you believe that God's Spirit could, could produce a fruit in you 30, 60, 100 times that which was planted? Uh, understand, it, it's God's intention uh, that the Spirit that He placed inside each of us when we in faith and repentance were baptized into Christ, as Peter said, repent to be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Those are two reasons why baptism, immersion into Christ, is a really, really big deal. Maple Grove, it's God's intention that, that, that his spirit inside of us becomes this, this mighty river. And a mighty river that not only wells up in us, but flows out from us into this lost, hurting, and dying world. On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, as the high priest was pouring out water from the temple, like we said last week, as the high priest read from Ezekiel 47 about this time when a river would flow from the temple, going into the Dead Sea and causing dead things to come to life wherever it touched it. On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood up and said, Let anyone who's thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scriptures have said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit whom, he, whom, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. And understand, uh, this river that God wants to flow in us and to flow from us, uh, uh, this river that has a potential uh, to bring life to everything it touches, at home, where you work, wherever, it, it's a river of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Uh, now, so far we've talked about uh, love when it's undeserved, Kind of tough. Joy when there's no reason. Kind of tough. And, and this morning we're going to talk about peace when the pressure is on. However, before we go there and do that, talk about peace when the pressure is on, it is critical for me to remind everyone in this room, including myself, of the absolute necessity of pulling up the weeds of the sinful nature if we're really serious about growing the fruit of the Spirit. Anybody serious about growing the fruit of the Spirit in their life? Raise your hand. If someone's hand's not up, feel free to slap them. Say, what you doing there then? No, kidding. Uh, uh, because the truth is, we will never grow the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, not to the degree that God wants to, as long as we're watering and fertilizing the weeds of the sinful nature. What are those weeds? Well, Paul says, the acts or the weeds of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual morality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissensions, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, oh, you're thinking good, mine's not on the list yet, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I said before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Here's my question. During the last few weeks, have you been pulling up or have you been watering the weeds of sexual morality, hostility, quarreling, 
outbursts of anger, bitterness, dissension, division, and envy, and the like. You know what's crazy about watering weeds that I've noticed over the years is that many times Christians like us who say we want the fruit of the Spirit, we have the ability to convince ourselves that somehow our watering of these weeds that, that our watering of the weeds of sexual morality and anger and hostility and quarreling and division and dissension, that somehow our watering of these weeds is really okay. That, that it's really not a big deal. That it's perfectly fine for us to keep on watering these weeds. But Maple Grove, sin is sin. And the weeds of the sinful nature are the weeds of the sinful nature. And sex immorality, hostility, quarrels, outbursts of anger, bitterness, dissension, and, and, and division are never justified. Get it? Good. Let's pull up some weeds, y'all. Man, I got mine too, right? I, I, I've done some watering. I gotta, we got to quit making excuses for our sin. Again, today we're going to talk about peace when the pressure's on. And, and let me tell you, when we look at the world, when we look at our world, there's absolutely no doubt that the pressure is on. I mean, that, 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 that people are carrying a weight. I mean, they can't. Can I get some help? Help over here. Check out some of these statistics. 23 million people in America have been diagnosed with an anxiety disorder. Over 75% of visits to the family doctor are related to stress. 80% of all health care is spent on stress-related sicknesses. Stress-related products and services are a $9.4 billion a year business. Stress costs industry about $150 billion a year and increase health insurance outlays, burnout, absenteeism, uh, reduced product productivity, costly mistakes, poor morale, high employee turnover, as well as family alcohol and drug-related problems. Stress is a major contributing factor, either directly or indirectly, to heart disease, cancer, respiratory disorders, uh, accidental injuries, cirrhosis of the liver, and suicide, the six leading causes of death of people in America. And stress has both emotional and physical symptoms. Some of the emotional symptoms of stress are irritability, anxiety, impaired concentration, mental confusion, poor judgments, frustration, and anger. Uh, uh, common physical symptoms of stress are Muscle tension, headaches, lower back pain, insomnia, digestive issues, tired all the time, and high blood pressure. I don't know about you, but I'm feeling pretty stressed out just reading off those statistics. Yes, our world is uptight and stressed out. The pressure's on. I mean, look at how people act in traffic, waiting in line, or when their Happy Meal is a, a few nuggets short, right? It's just a nugget. And just what is stress and where does it come from? Answer, stress comes from God. Let me explain. You see, God has given us each at birth an instinctive stress response. It's an it's important part of, of our makeup in, in case we're ever in danger. You see, whenever a potentially dangerous situation arises, stress hormones, which cause instant mental and physical changes in us, are released into our bloodstream. And these hormones give us added strength and endurance, uh, they, they, make, make, they may make us feel pumped up and ready to fight. 
They also may enable us, if necessary, to run away much faster than we could normally manage. This response is generally called the fight or flight response. I mean, suppose someone tries to take your child away from you while you're shopping. Man, your mouth would go dry, your hands would sweat, your heart would pound, and you would feel terror-stricken, but you also uh, would find yourself filled with superhuman strength and determination. I mean, you would think of nothing like yelling like a crazy person and pounding on that guy until he let your kid go and ran off. Again, your automatic response would be to fight, and, and with luck, it would save the day. And if you're, you saw a car outside the road and you walk by it and start hearing noises like, I think that sucker's about to explode. I, I've, I've watched TV, you know. It, you would, your instinct would be to run and you would probably run faster than ever because of these stress hormones. And sometimes stress just gets us moving, right? To finish that report, that project, or that sermon. <laughs> you, you see, it, it's not that we work better under stress. It's not that we work better. It's just that under stress we, we work. However, stress is meant to be a temporary condition for specific situations. But what's happening today is that instead of just using these stress hormones in emergencies, we're now living at such a pace that we activate them all the time. Like when we are about to miss our plane, when we get caught in traffic, when we our computer's too slow, when we can't find our keys. Man, they're just pumping. Uh, uh, when someone in front of us has too many Wait a second, it says 12 items. I think you got 13. What are you doing? You know, when someone deletes the movie off the DVR before we watched it, right? We're worried about finishing a report or paying a bill. You see, our stress hormones get us all fired up and tense like a boxer waiting to hear the bell, yet unlike a boxer, most tense people don't get the opportunity to step into the ring. Nor do they allow their bodies and minds sufficient time and space to rest after each stress-filled moment. So the stress, these stress hormones, they, they keep working, they keep pumping, and they keep adding on weight after weight after weight on the, our bar of life. Which is why so many people around us flip out and lose their temper over the smallest things. Like I said, it's a stinking chicken nugget. You probably could use to eat a few less, right? I mean, so how familiar are you with stress? Let, let me give you a, a little quiz. Complete the following sentence. Sentences. I'm ready to throw in the... I'm at the end of my... I'm just a bundle of... My life is falling. I'm at my wits. I feel like resigning from the human. I can't take it. I'm about to lose my... A plus. A plus. You are experts at stress. I mean, most of us have said those things so much they're a part of our vocabulary. Stress is an unfortunate fact of life. And they, everyone is under stress, it's tense, everyone feels the pressure, yet everyone wants peace of mind. I mean, whether you're a, a business person facing the pressure of a deadline, a homemaker trying to crowd the kids, a student trying to make it through the semester, everybody wants peace of mind. But most of us, if we're honest with ourselves, have to admit that we experience more stress than we do peace. You see, more often than not, we feel like that. Maybe you don't. Some, you feel like that guy in the circus spinning all those plates. You know? Or you feel like a volcano ready to spew out your lava. 
on whoever happens to make the mistake to be near you when you erupt. Question, when you, look at, when you look at our stressed out, uptight, overpressured world, when you look at your stressed out, uptight, overpressured world, can you see how being peaceful, can you see how peace when the pressure's on would be a river of living water flowing from us out into this world, a life-giving river? Now, the Bible has a lot to say about stress and even more about its antidote, peace of mind. See, God, God wants us to be at peace. He wants you to be at peace. I mean, what did the angel say to the shepherd, right? Glory to God in the highest on earth. Stress, anxiety to men on whom his, no, peace. So, so here's the deal. You know, would you like more peace and less stress in your life? If so, you're at the right place at the right time. I certainly am. <laughs> Because this morning, I'm going to talk about several things that we can do that will help the Holy Spirit. Now, now remember, it's a fruit of the Spirit. It's not a fruit of self. But nevertheless, there's things that you and I can do that and must do in order to cooperate with that Spirit. Does that make sense? Right? Like your sailboat on the lake, right? You don't create the wind. You didn't make the boat. All you got to do is raise the sails, right? So what can we do to make the Holy Spirit's job easier to produce the fruit of peace in our lives? First of all, you have to, uh, to have peace. We have to recognize where real peace comes from. It comes from, I'm sure you're not surprised by this answer, it comes from God. 17 of the 21 letters written to churches and individuals in the New Testament start out with words like this. Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Circle peace to you and underline from God. Uh, understand, if you want real peace, if you want lasting peace, if you want peace that can keep you float while you're sailing on a sea of trouble and stress, you can only find it from God. Understand, you're not going to find real lasting peace in a book, a vacation, a pint of Ben and Jerry's, a purchase, a new purchase, a new diet plan, a new job, a bottle, a pill, a relationship, or anywhere else. No, no real peace is found only in God. Get it? Good. Now, we may be able to induce a momentary, temporary peace with those other things, but that peace usually goes away when the buzz wears off, when the vacation ends, when the diet fails, when the relationship heads south, south when the bills become due. And not only do we find that, when we use those other things to, to give us peace, many times, you know what they wind up doing? They wind up adding more weight onto our bar. It makes it even heavier. So the first step is for us to realize where real peace comes from. You know, where have you been looking for real peace? If it's not in God, you've been looking in the wrong place. And one quick but important thing about peace, and see, the, the, the peace we have with God comes from God. This week we read this in 1 Peter, and our faith comes from hearing. God the Father knew you, and chose you. Isn't that crazy? He knows you're messed up. He knows you're going to mess up. It wasn't like he's blind. Oh, dang, I didn't know he was so screwed up. And she was so, he's got, he, he knew you and he chose you. And there's great comfort in that, isn't it? And, and his spirit has made you holy. As a result, you have obeyed him and have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus. May God give you more and more grace and peace. I'm here to tell you that you being right with God, 
Jesus lifts that weight. All right? You, know, you don't lift any of it. You, know, you don't do anything. It's all, but, it's all done by Jesus. He makes you holy. His blood cleanses you. And some of you put that pressure on yourself. I got to start doing better. Read my Bible more. God will love me. You know, God will love me then. No, God loves you when you're reading your Bible, when you're not reading your Bible. Just it messes you up when you're not, right? His love isn't like that. Get it? Good. Next, we want peace. We need to obey the principles of, that are found in God's word. I understand that if we're not living our lives according to God's word, if we're doing things and living a way that not only, um, not, not only that God says are wrong, but that we know are wrong, if we keep watering weeds that we know are wrong, we're never going to have God's peace. In the book of 2 Kings chapter 9, we see a powerful illustration of this. I can't tell the whole story, but bottom line, the king of Israel is a guy named Joram, and he, he, was a, he was a bad guy. He wore a black hat. His mom was even worse. She, she was the most wicked woman in history, probably. I've never heard anybody name their kid this. Jezebel, right? Okay, that was his mom. And in chapter 9 of 2 Kings, God calls him a powerful military leader named Jehu. I want, you to, I want you to go to King Joram, and I want you to know, I want you to warn him that you're about to clean out all the wickedness in the land. And, and so he's riding in this chariot, and he's kicking up dust because it actually says that he had a reputation for being a, a wild driver. And so he's driving kind of crazy, you know, slams his chariot underneath the castle. Joram sees him there, and he asks this question. When Joram saw Jehu, he asked, have you come in peace? Jehu? Jehu replied, how can there be peace? As long, all, as long as all the idolatry and witchcraft of your mother Jezebel abound. And perhaps God would say the same thing to some of us today. Yeah, I know you want peace. I, I, I know you want my peace, but, but, but how can there be peace? How can you have my peace when you keep doing things that you know are wrong? When, when you keep watering weeds, you know you ought to be pulling up. Isaiah said it this way. If you had bade me, you would have had what? Peace like a full-flowing river. Good things would have flowed from you like the waves of the sea. You know, is there something in your life that is contrary to what God wants? Bottom line, if you want peace flowing like a river, if you want good things flowing into your life, repent. Not next week. Not when you have one last time to tell them off. <laughs> Repent. Maple Grove, understand there's peace found in obeying God's word. Psalm 119. Those who love your teachings will find true peace and nothing will defeat that. Paul said the following in Philippians 4.9. Whatever you learned, received, and heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. To have peace when the pressure's on. Recognize that it comes from God. Obey God's principles. I mean, I can't be asking God for peace when I got a bunch of junk I'm not willing to repent of and change. Number three, if we want peace when the pressure's on, we need to unplug from the world. When I was in the Navy, there were times when I would have to go into the reactor compartment after it was shut down, okay? And, and, and I would have to put on pr protective clothing and pick up a little device to measure radiation a pocket dosimeter. And while I was in that reactor compartment, 
I'd be reminded over uh, the MC, the speaker, the check that dosimeter, you know, to make sure that I didn't get exposed to too much of that toxic environment because you, you can't see, you can't feel, you, you can't taste radiation. I, I wouldn't even know I was getting zoomed, in, though I was collecting zoomies, as we call them. We live in a toxic environment, and we can't taste it, we can't feel it, we can't see it all the time. But our culture is filled with ideas and values and pressures and temptations about success and security and comfort and happiness and where they come from. And unless you and I choose to withdraw on an occasion, to unplunk from this world, we're not even going to know what we're absorbing. Jesus made a practice of this. Scripture says in Luke 5, 16, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and he prayed. And this was a habit of Jesus. You know, when he began his ministry, he went off and he unplugged. When he was about to choose his disciples, he unplugged. When he heard about the death of his cousin, John the Baptist, he went out and unplugged. And that night in the garden, what did he do? He went to the garden and he did what? He unplugged from the world. And Jesus told his disciples to do the same thing. Mark 6, 31. Because so many people were coming and going, they did not even have a chance to eat. He said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and what? Get some rest. You see, here's the deal. Preaching to myself a lot today. Um, if we don't, if we don't come apart, we will what? We will fall apart. We'll fall apart. Bottom line, if you want peace, you need to unplug from this noisy, crazy, toxic world on a regular basis. I mean, every day, try to, try to find a quiet place. And one of the best things to do during that time of quiet when, is when you tune out the noise of the world, you open up God's word and you worship and you start listening to God. You unplug from the world and you, and you, and you plug into God. It's going to take some work, right? We got to admit it. We are, we are noise addicts, right? You know, need I say more, man? How many times do you see this somewhere? Hey, how you doing, guys? You doing good? Family sitting at the dinner table, right? You're at a restaurant with a friend. Well, I know when you do it here, you're, you're taking notes and you're looking up your Bible, right? You're, you're, not, you're not checking something on Pinterest, right? Yeah. And, and we're going to work at it, right? We're addicted, right? We're addicted to noise. Go in the car, turn the radio. Go in your house, turn on the TV. Got nothing better to do for, like, if for five seconds there's nothing going on. Dang, it's been five seconds. What's going on? Let me check the news. Let me check Facebook. Let me check what's going on, okay? We need to unplug from this world and get, some, get a rest. Um, next, we need to simplify our lives. It's better to have only a little with peace of mind than to be busy all the time. Amen? <laughs> I, I've learned that everything has what? It has limits. Now, now, now we, don't, we don't like to admit we have limits, right? You know, you know we, we constantly overestimate our abilities and underestimate the problems and how much time it'll take to actually do something. Someone says, can you do this? You said, sure, I can do that. Let's add that in. And let's add that in. And let's add that in. And instead of five minutes, it takes 30. Instead of a meeting, it takes a half hour. It takes an hour. And we live in a culture that constantly tells us, you can do it all, you can have it all, you can be it all. Is that true? No, it's a lie. You have limits. Repeat after me, I have limits. First place, we have physical limits, right? No matter how much I want to psych myself into it, I'm not going to be able to swim to Hawaii, right? Not happening, right? I, I can't go six months without food. 
Not even a day, right? I have limits. We also have emotional limits. And those are harder to judge for us, right? I mean, uh, we know our physical limits, right? If I said, hey, could you carry this person on your back when you leave here? Go, yeah, I could do that. I say, hey, could you carry 10 people on your back? You're like, no. I ain't going to try. It's impossible. Physically impossible to carry 10 people on my back. Well, how many people can you carry emotionally? You ever thought about that? I mean, how many problems of other people can you carry yourself? One, five, 15, 20, 50? I mean, at what point do we have to draw the line and say, I'm sorry, but I can't help right now. I, I can't take another thing on. I have a limit. I can't do anymore. Listen, many of us have never drawn the line emotionally. And we think we can keep healing more and more problems, more and more stress. We, don't, we think we don't need any downtime. Again, I'm preaching to myself that we don't need any margin. And if that's how we think, I have one thing to say. We're wrong. I'm wrong. Something's got to give. Something's going to fall off and somebody's got to get hurt. And I'm okay with embarrassing myself here. All right? I did some good benching in the morning yesterday, and I didn't get any pictures. So, hey, I got to get a picture of a spider and did it again, pumped it up there. Let me do that one more time. And like an idiot, right, we didn't have these. These things are very important when lifting weights, like to hold the weights on the bar, all right? Uh, don't lift without them. I did, all right? And so that's Alden. And he, I said, Alden, spot me. Let's get a picture from a different angle here. And, you know, I'm, I'm feeling sore today from it. And, and I tilted it the wrong way. And they all fell off. Chaos. I just cracked up like crazy. It was hilarious, you know. I said, that's a great sermon illustration. And by the way, I photoshopped the white big belly because I didn't want to intimidate anybody with my six-pack, right? So that's, that's been photoshopped in, you know. But you know what? It, it, you keep putting it on. No, I can do it. Put one more door. I can do it. I couldn't do it. And those weights fell off. We have time limits, right? No matter how many time management seminars you go to, guess what? You still only got 24 hours. You got space limits. Guess what? You can't be in more than one place at a time. You say I'm going to be home for my kid's game, then you can't be here at that meeting at the same time. You have space limits. We have to admit that we have limits. We have to get rid of some of the clutter and some of the junk in our lives. Paul Pearson writes advice to people who just wrestle with stuff, with clutter. He says this. This is pretty good. Go ahead and leave stuff out. There's nothing sacred about always putting things away. If you find yourself in a hide-the-stuff hide panic when there's an unexpected knock at the door, you probably just have too much stuff. Maybe your visitor could take some of your stuff when he or she leaves. <laughs> leave your stuff out as a type of perpetual state sale for visitors to shop through. Take some stuff off your hands. If you don't want to make the bed, shut the door and pretend it's made. Allow spoons in the fork pile. That's rough in the Civil War drill sometimes. Write the word joy in the dust on the table sometimes. <laughs> Dusting is only the process of small particle rearrangement. What would, what would your life look like if instead of this endless chase for what do I need to do, what do I need to buy, where do I need to go, what do I need to change? We could just simplify our lives. See, some of us need to go home, go through our closets, find the clutter, and give it away. Go through our garage, find the clutter, and give it away. Go through our calendar, find the clutter, and get rid of it. Amen?
Next, in order to overcome and have peace when the pressure's on, we have to live the way we say we believe. I got to start cranking. Um, you know, George Gallup did a survey, and he found that the number one stress factor of baby boomers, I mean, what do you think it is? You know, number one stress factor, it, they found it, it wasn't time, it, 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 wasn't, it, wasn't, it, it, it wasn't money, and it wasn't even relational conflict. You know what it was? Something he called incongruent values. You know, what that is, you live, you say you live, you say this is important, I value this, but you don't live that way. You know, we say family's important to us, but surveys say that the average dad only spends like five minutes a day in meaningful conversation with his kids. We say family's important, but our job, our hobbies always override that, right? Uh, we say God, God is important to me, but, but we, we don't take time to, to, to read the Bible. Uh, we don't take time to pray privately. We say, you know what, church is important to me, uh, but, but we don't attend regularly. We don't tithe our income. And we don't serve in the body to make it stronger. Uh, uh, we say, you know, love and forgiveness and joy and patience and kindness are very important, but it's not evident in the way that we live our lives. We have these incongruent values, and we know it. You know, we're not living what we say is important, and it creates stress. But listen, what if we, on this, this day, the 46th day of the year 2015, Began to make an effort to close that gap. You know what I'm saying? And we say, you know what? Beginning today, beginning today, beginning this week, I want to challenge every one of us. Let's start doing some of the things and acting in some of the ways that, that we say are important. You say your family's important, your marriage is important. And that, that, hey, do something this week that actually shows you value that. You say this church is important. That then you know what? Maybe you need to start serving. Maybe you need to be here every week. Maybe you need to start tithing your income. You say God's important to you. Maybe this week you say, you know, I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to hang out with God. Because he's the most important person on the face of the earth. And I guarantee as you do that, as we get rid of this gap, we don't have all this pressure of, yeah, you should be doing this. You know this is important. You're not doing it. We relieve that pressure. We take some of the weight off of the bar. Does that make sense? Amen. You tracking with me? Laugh and enjoy life more. Cheerful heart is good medicine, but a broken spirit saps a person's strength. Laughter is good medicine, right? It's good to have a great time. Watch this video.
Great advice, guys. Great advice. Hey, uh, it, it's good to laugh, right? Laughing is good medicine. And, and I got to tell you, you know, uh, you know the, the men in women's ministry, you know, um, Alden Pierce, our men's leader, Natalie Vendenable, the women's put on this flashback prom yesterday, last night. And I'll tell you what, it, it was a great time. People have a great time, have a lot of fun. And it's a great way to take the pressure off, right? And we need those times of taking the pressure off of our lives. I want to read this uh, uh, rather quickly. Um, something Irma Bombeck wrote after she found out she was dying from cancer and, and uh, about enjoying life. Uh, what I, was it called? If I had my life to live over, right? So most of us are at that spot. Here we go. I would have gone to bed when I was sick instead of pretending the earth would go into a holding pattern if I weren't there for a day. I would have burned the pink candle sculpted like a rose before it melted in storage. I would have talked less and listened more. I would invite friends over to dinner even if the carpet was stained or the sofa faded. I would have eaten the popcorn in the good living room and worried much less about the dirt when someone wanted to light a fire in the fireplace. I would have taken the time to listen to my grandfather ramble about his youth. I would have shared more of the responsibility carried by my husband. I would have never insisted the car windows be rolled up on a summer day because my hair had just been teased and sprayed. I would have sat on the lawn with my children and not have worried about grass stains. I would have cried and laughed less while watching television and more while watching life. I would never have bought anything just because it was practical, wouldn't show soil, or was guaranteed to last a lifetime. Instead of wishing away nine months of pregnancy... I'd have cherished every moment and realized the wonderment growing inside of me was the only chance in life to, to assist God in a miracle. When the kids kissed me impetuously, I would have never said, later, now, now go get washed up for dinner. There would have been more I love yous, more I'm sorry's, but mostly, given another shot at life, I would seize every minute of it and really see it, live it, and never give it back. Stop sweating the small stuff. Don't worry about who doesn't like you, who has more, who isn't doing what. Instead, let's cherish relationships we have with those who do love us. Let's think about what God has blessed us with and what we are doing each day to promote ourselves mentally, physically, emotionally, as well as spiritually. Life is too short to let it pass you by. We only have this one shot at this, and then it's gone. I hope you all have a blessed day. Amen. And last but certainly not least, that peace when the pressure's on, we have, to, we have to focus on God's presence. If you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. But if you look at Christ, you will be at rest. Come to me, all ye who are weary and heavy burden, and I will give you what? I'll give you rest. 
Did you ever have, did you ever have a car that 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 had troubles overheating? Man, rough. I was at Atlanta in traffic jam where I had to turn my heat on in 100 degrees outside to help my car cool down for an hour and a half. Good times, let me tell you what. Uh, you know, and during those times, I really depended on the, the, the warning light or the gauge to let me know, dude, there's a problem. You know, don't you wish there was some way to indicate that we're straying from God and we're out of focus? Well, there is. You know what it is? It's called, it's called stress. It's called stress. You know, when you and I are stressed out, it's an indication that we've taken our focus, right? Just, just what Paul said. Remember what Paul said? You know, we, we, we were crushed and overwhelmed, far beyond our ability in, to endure, and we did not think we were even going to live through it. Then Paul looked at his idiot like, yo, dude, you're relying on yourself when you should be relying on God. Peace when the pressure's on. The foundation of it is when we rest in God. The psalmist writes, right, God is an ever-present help in times of trouble. And he says what? Be still. Still. But the pressure's on. I got so much to do. Did you see my list? Do you see all the stuff I have to do? Be still. Uh, that Hebrew expression means ease up. Let it go. Cease striving. I'm God. You're not God. I got it covered. It'll be okay. I got your back. Look to me. Rest in me. When the pressure's on. And it may seem like you got to do, 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 do. Some of you, that's exactly what you need this week. You need to rest. You need to be still. God can handle it. There's never been a weight that God could not lift. Amen? Would you stand and pray with me? God, we love you, we thank you, we praise you. And God, just be with us right now. Be with me. We're going to sing a couple songs, and I could be checking out right now thinking, wow, I'm stressed because I think I went over my time limit, and I'm stressed, and I'm going to be ready for the next service, and wow, I got this stuff to do today, and I could just check out right now and miss this time of worship with you. Help me not to do that. Help my, my lips and my heart not to be far from you, be close to you. Help me to look up because there is none above you. Help me to, to bow down right now, Lord, and to say, God, the pressure's on, and I need you. Help me to look back and see all the times you helped me when I couldn't lift something. Help me to trust you to help me lift anything life puts on my way in the future. And help me to know, God, that with you, no matter what is going on, no matter what I face, with you, it always can be well with my soul. In Jesus' name, amen.